What is the best Bee Gees song ever? That's the question we're going to answer today on part two of our best Bee Gees song episode. This is Bee Gees and me starting right now. I'm David Fedor, and on today's episode of Bee Gees and Me. I think their catalogue as songwriters is absolutely unparalleled. Something about this song, the music, hit me in a way, and I was hypnotized. I was in the car driving, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> I loved it so much. This is like actually one of my favorite songs now in general and I will listen to this song regularly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. Oh, I just hurt my arm patting myself on the back. <laughs> if you'd asked me to put my top 10 together, I'd have had secret love in there because I just think that is three minutes of perfect pop. But I had to pick and today is one why I picked those ones. If you ask me again tomorrow, if you ask me- Exactly. If, if you ask me at 2 a.m. <laughs> if you ask me at 2 a.m. last night, I still do not have a concrete top five. Welcome to Bee Gees and Me. I'm David Fedor. This is part two of the best Bee Gees song episode. If you haven't done so yet, you can check out part one first. That's okay. I'll wait. You can come back. In part one. We feature the first half of this list rate rank episode. Felicia and I build our top 10 lists, and I reveal the top 10 list that was voted on by you, the fans. It's a lot of fun. On this episode here, part two, Felicia and I welcome our guest expert, Andrew Morn Hughes, who will help us rank our lists from 10 to 1. So if you want to find out what those songs were, listen to part one and then come back here. Um, in addition to being an avid fan and collector, Andrew has worked on and contributed to several books, TV shows, and albums about the Bee Gees. The first installment of his latest book series, Bee Gees Decades, is scheduled to be released in October of 2021. This first book will feature information and stories about every single song from the Bee Gees in the decade of the 1960s. <laughs> I'm ridiculously excited to get my hands on this book. Uh, find them on Facebook by searching for Bee Gees Decades and also follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Bee Gees Decades. I, uh, they have some awesome, incredible, never-before-heard stories um, that they're going to talk about in this book and in this series of books. They've been teasing online. You got to check them out. It's going to be awesome. But now let's get to part two and list rate rank the best Bee Gees songs. All right, welcome back to the show. Andrew Mon Hughes is from Angsley in Wales and is a recognized world authority on the Bee Gees. The term BGologist was coined by and bestowed upon him by none other than Dick Ashby, the Bee Gees' personal manager. Apart from his most obvious claim to fame as co-author of Tales of the Brothers Gibb, Andrew has worked on a plethora of other Bee Gees projects, including tour programs, CDs, and DVD liner notes, television specials, and DVDs. With an enormous Bee Gees collection and an archive second to none, Andrew is always in demand to assist on all sorts of projects globally. And today, he is our Bee Gees expert. Andrew, welcome to List Rate Rank. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's, it's ridiculously intimidating to speak to somebody who knows more about the Bee Gees than I do. Flatter. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, here's the thing. I, I am here in the United States in... Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania area, born in the 70s. So when I was a fan, it was the 90s. Nobody I've known in my entire life has ever been a Bee Gees fan. Of all my friends, of all the circles I've ever run through, I've been known as the guy who's obsessed with the Bee Gees. Um, yeah. I did myself- It's a heavy a cross to bear, isn't it? <laughs> It, it is. And, and as the lifelong outcast, um, 
luckily with the late 90s, early 2000s, um, and now the, the internet community, I've actually been able to connect with other people um, who, who are fans, but nobody like yourself who's like an, uh, a historian. Tell me a little bit about your experience uh, as a Bee Gees expert. Um, it all started back in 1978. That's when I actually got into the, into the music. And obviously it was the time of too much heaven, spirits having flown, that kind of stuff. And I bought my first album, which was Spirits, and inside was a little pamphlet, which had a picture of other albums on the RSO label. So I went out and I bought those. And of course there were two best ofs included there. And then you wonder like, sort of where did those songs appear? So this was way before the internet. Like, sort of, it was hard to find all this stuff out. And you go to a record store and you say, like, sort of, what have you got by the Bee Gees? And they say, well, like, sort of, the, the, the book says like, sort of, we've got this, but they're all out of print. You know? So you start going out and you start digging around secondhand stores and, and finding all that kind of stuff. And then I got a job back in 1984, my first job. And I found a magazine called Record Collector, going through the small ads in there. And then you find singles that have got non-album B-sides. And then you find a Dutch pressing and you buy that. And then you see a German pressing, which has got a different sleeve. So you... <laughs> You're speaking my language. You're speaking my language. <laughs> so, you know, um, from that kind of side of things, that is how a collection started. And then, of course, lots of, you buy the book. You buy the book by David Leaf. You buy the book by Kim Stevens. You get the Larry Price book. You get all of those. Like, and you start building up a picture, collating stuff, lots of yourself. You know how a collector makes lists. Then you start making a chronology of events. You start buying magazines. You buy newspapers as you're going along and you're living the story, you know. Um, and then um, we'd always had designs, myself, um, Hector Cook and Melinda Bilyeu, lots of, we'd always had designs on writing a book. Originally, we were going to call it The Singers Sang Their Songs. And it was going to be the, the, the story you know, sort of behind every song that they'd ever written. Um, but that was really, really difficult to do because, as you know, I thought of a lot of the songs are just words which rhyme lots of and just stuck to a nice tune. They don't really make very much sense. But um, at that point, Omnibus Press, uh, who were and still are the biggest publisher of music biographies and uh, through um music sales that's the name of the company they are the, the the biggest seller of um sheet music in the world uh their uh, editor-in-chief chris charlesworth who used to be a journalist for the melody maker magazine back in the 70s um he gave me a call and he said lots of look we want to have a, a book written about the Bee Gees. can you help with the research i says yeah sure i said but how about you let us have a crack so he says, hmm, okay, well, so you've got absolutely no experience whatsoever. Well, sort of, but okay, well, sort of, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. So I got on to act. You don't Melinda. say no to that. You, if somebody <laughs> asks you to write a book about the Bee Gees, you say yes. <laughs> so we pitched um, a, a sample chapter to them. They were happy with that. We got the contract to do that. And then well, sort of, that's when the real hard work starts. Well, sort of, so we did 18 months of solid research and interview. We interviewed over a hundred people and that's when you really start getting the interesting information kind of coming through. That's how um, we found out how, for instance, um, Robert Stigwood managed to find them so quickly. You know, because um, the Australian record company had already been sending their records through to a number of UK companies already so that they were actually quite well known um, by people like Roland Rennie, who was the head of uh, Polydor at that time. So it was, it was only a matter of weeks, you know, before um, Stigwood actually managed to trace them to their house in Hendon, got them down and, and signed them to, what was it, a five-year contract at that point, um, back in 1967. Um, it, it, it's been a fascinating journey, all told, um, not just 
from the period of actually becoming a fan, but actually then looking back and finding stuff out. We've done a, a lot of research um, over the past 20 years about the Australian years. Mm. That's, um, that's another project which is on the back burner at the moment. Um, but the, the amount of material that we found about that is absolutely unbelievable. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Because that, those, those years aren't written about much or talked about much. Even they're not, songs they're, uh, are, aren't in their catalog really as, as, as Bee Gees songs. You can't stream them here in the States. Um, you could buy some CDs or, or things like that. But, uh, but th that's, and some of those are really fun gems that are, you know, nice simple early 60s hits mm -hmm. but the thing is with that era 63 through 66 the Bee Gees were not just recording artists and performers Barry also had a parallel career as a songwriter and this is where it gets really really interesting because the Bee Gees put out 13 singles within that period of time but there were over 60 cover versions as well so you know going through that lot um collecting the singles well uh I'll, I'll have to jump in and 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 um i just want to say something we we talked about earlier in the first half of the show was uh something that blew flish away as well was the 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 scope of their recordings their you know 54 albums from 67 to 2001 or whatever it is not only themselves but their solo stuff and the work that they did with others um has any other group or any other group of, of songwriters done anything even close to that? I think their catalog as songwriters is absolutely unparalleled. It's, it's an, an enormously uh, valuable asset. Um, I was just actually looking through a list of cover versions of, of people that, that have recorded their songs yesterday um, and this is quite an old list and it was standing at well over 7,000 at that point, you know, um, they probably made more money out of people covering their songs than they have actually of, of their own record sales. Yeah. And, and something that's beautiful to see, even to this day, if you go onto a, um, uh, an app like TikTok or an app like Instagram and follow the hashtag. Yeah. Apps. It's weird. I don't know what these things are, but this is where, uh, the next generation. And at one point I was the next generation of Bee Gees fan. And now I mm -hmm. feel like an old ass. Um, but the, um, like there are so many people with a, a, a simple guitar and doing a two minute cover of, how can you mend a broken heart or a two minute cover of how deep is your love a, a two to, two minute cover of uh, to love somebody there and a lot of it is people from all over the world who don't even speak english they're learning english and and singing like uh english as a second language uh, english is my second language you know yeah <laughs> it is is it well yeah. the, the, you 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 sound a little different than me but i could still understand you so that's awesome what what you grew up uh in Wales, though, right? So you spoke, yeah, so, spoke Welsh. Well, 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 Welsh is my first language, and I sort of I, I couldn't speak English until until I was about five. Nice. So I've done quite well, huh? <laughs> Not too bad. You made it all the way to Listerade rank. How about that? <laughs> um, <Up> the pile. <laughs> so, so what I did for Felicia was um, she originally was willing to listen to the entire uh, Bee Gees catalog. Um, and then she found out how massive the Bee Gees catalog was and was like, no, please curate a list for me. So I gave her a list of 71 songs spanning the course of their um, 22 studio albums. And uh, we compiled our top five lists. So if you're ready, I'd like to transition to that. Normally we would uh, split these lists and, and, and make top five, but um, I, I picked, I'll tell you, I'll tell you first how I picked mine. The Bee Gees career, to summarize, you could say pre-disco, disco, post-disco. Post -disco. Even though disco was only a couple years of 50, um, that's how I made it an excuse to pick only one from the 60s and 70s, only one from the disco, only one from the 80s and 90s. Um, so I picked uh, as my number five, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart as the pre-disco favorite. As um, the disco, I picked You Should Be Dancing. Um, Number three, post-disco, you win again. Number two, um, how deep is your love? Because it's a standard. And number one, 
alone. Um, Felicia, go ahead and present your top five, please. My number five is When He's Gone. My number four is Jive Talking. Number three, Holiday. Number two, To Love Somebody. Number one, Night Fever. Hmm. Okay. Lots of that's, that's some, that is nowhere close to where I would have put a generic top 10, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so there's normally screamer missing in there. That's even, sort of... even David's, even David's is generic. <laughs> no, it's nowhere, nowhere close. He's saying it's no. not generic. Oh, or, okay. Okay. Nowhere, nowhere close to being a generic top 10. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Well, I think mine is probably more generic, you know. No, yours, yours yeah. is, you have one surprising and awesome outlier that I can't wait to talk about. Yeah, okay. there's, yeah there's one in there I really want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> so, so um, and, and when I made Felicia's List, I made sure to have a sampling of every single album. So there's at least two songs from every album. And I put a bunch of ones on there too, so that she could see the difference between a hit and something that was an album cut. And, um, and of the 71, there was a good majority that were um, uh, 60s. Uh, of course, you had all the disco standards. Uh, but I also made sure to represent the 80s and 90s and, and uh, mm. 2000s well, um, because to me, that is my favorite era of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm surprised you haven't got anything from Size and Everything in there. That's my favorite album of them. And um, like I, I told Felicia, too, at the top of the show, my, two, my 543 could have easily been I started jokes, Stand Alive, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Could have easily been Run to Me, Jive Talking One. Could easily have been to love somebody, night fever, this is where I came in. But I had to pick. And today is <laughs> why I picked those ones. If you ask me again tomorrow, if you ask me exactly. At, if you ask me at 2 <laughs> if you ask me at 2 a.m. last night, I still do not have a concrete top five. So uh, gun to my head, that's what I had to pick. And I couldn't I uh, post disco, I probably could have said for whom the bell tolls is my favorite, but you can't deny you win again is was a bigger hit. Um, so that's our top 10 list, Andrew. And uh, normally what we do is we, we, we talk about each of our picks, why we pick them and determine which ones deserve to be in our top five. Since we didn't do that, um, we'll, we'll just go in order and talk a little bit about them um, with you and, 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 and do, it, do it then. So um, if it's okay, let's start with... Um, my number five, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Uh, it's from their 1971 album, Trafalgar. Uh, it was their first US number one. And I picked it because it really highlights Barry's voice, Robin's voice. And then of course, with the harmony, the three-part mm -hmm. harmony in the, uh, in the, the chorus. Um, something interesting I found out about it when I Googled How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, Google first popped up um, Al Green's version. Mm -hmm. And it says other versions, Bee Gees. And I was like, whoa, Google, this is a Bee Gees song. Al Green covered it like a year later. Uh, so that was a little bit um, thing. Um, but the song itself too was a um, reunion of the brothers because they originally broke up and um, Barry and Robin finally put their beef behind them. They came together. They wrote How Can Men a Broken Heart about repairing their relationship. They also yep. recorded uh, Lonely Days uh, and wrote Lonely Days that same day or something. And Morris mm -hmm. came over and they finished it and they recorded it that night. That to me is astounding that um, they could churn out two huge songs like that in an afternoon, in a weekend, uh, and things like that. That's why How Can You Mend a Broken Heart is my number five. Okay. How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Trafalgar, 71. Um, Interesting album. Lots of it was one of those where the musically it's absolutely fantastic. Lots of because it was just so totally over the top in terms of the orchestral arrangements and stuff like that, which was just superb. You know, I loved it. Um, some of the songs on there, like when you listen to them, like you just want to hang yourself, don't you? <laughs> you know, that, that was... remembering and dearest and stuff like that. But how can you mend a broken heart? Um, yeah, lots of, it's an excellent song. Lots of some of the lyrics in there, you know, um, 
you could definitely feel you could feel the emotion you could feel the uh the trying to repair the relationship trying to to try to mend a broken heart you could hear it mm. um the the one thing in there once which i i bet barry ruse to this day is the breathy bit because he he has been he's like thank you for doing that yeah you're welcome i've practiced i've practiced he he made himself rife, ripe for parody with that yeah. and um it's unfortunate lots of the, but you know it, it's one of those things it didn't he never stopped doing it though no no he, and of he, course he, like, he, sort of, it's one of those things in concert like sort of where like sort of he'll he'll hold you <laughs> with that you know like yeah. it's it's really gripping um yeah he's, say, he's like, done whole was, songs he's done whole songs in that breathy voice <laughs> Well, yeah, absolutely, but that was that was that was the start of it. Yeah. Um, the thing I do find interesting about that song is, um, and Lonely Days as well. I said that they were huge hits in the states, but they did zip over here. Hmm. Now, I said for them to have gone, I said from um, you know being huge over and over here in the UK, um, and getting it right pretty much all the time, I said with their choices of singles and stuff. How? they didn't get it right um over here with those two songs really surprised me but but why what's <laughs> i can't knock it because if they're appealing lots of to the american market lots of which is the biggest you know music buying market out there lots of they, they were certainly doing something right weren't they yeah Okay. Uh, Felicia, let's go to your number five. My number five is When He's Gone. And uh, at first, like I told David earlier, the way that I listened to this playlist that he cultivated was if the music didn't immediately grab me, I skipped to the next song. So I wanted to really like the music and the lyrics. And uh, the music stuck out to me. And I, it may have been just where it fell in the list, like there may, may have been a bunch of slow songs and all of a sudden this one was upbeat. So I listened to the whole thing all the way through. And then I went back and I read the lyrics and I was like, oh, okay, this is an upbeat love song that's actually sad. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like a sad love song to somebody you can't be with, you know, uh, they because they're with someone else. But I'm, you know, they're saying like, but I'll be there when he's not. So mm -hmm. And to me, that is that is true love. When it's like, you know, I love you so much, it doesn't even bother me that you're with someone else. That that guy's gonna mess up. He's gonna screw up. And when he screws up, I'll be there, and then I'll have my shot. And to be saying something like that, um, and have it be, which to me is very sad. I couldn't do that. I would not be able to do that. I can't wait. What are you talking about? I don't want to ever think of you again if I can't have you. So. To be to have this up do it in this with this upbeat music, uh, I was like, you know what? That's going on my list. That's pretty confident. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. why I picked that song. It's probably like I don't think it's a hit, right? It's not one of their hits. Um, it was it was a single, but it wasn't. It didn't chart. It didn't go gangbusters. It it may it have performed. so should have. It so should have. It's a banger of a song i love that song so much yeah. um they um it's definitely the strongest from that album and uh they performed it a couple times in a couple shows i think they performed it on arsenio hall here that's right States. yeah yeah and even that performance is amazing but it just didn't do anything no no it, it was crazy like it was just such a good song uh, you know, okay. it was the it was the, the follow up of, because you, in the states I don't think you had Secret Love as um, as a single, did you? Um, no, no. But uh, Secret Love is another one that's it's amazing. If you'd asked me to put my top ten together, I'd have had Secret Love in there because I just think that is three minutes of perfect pop. Nice. You know? uh, well, I mean, I, I when he's gone, when he's gone, um, yeah, that's a great follow up single. It's one of those things. Like I have a gripe with record companies that they quite frequently put out the wrong record with the wrong song as a single but with when he's gone they absolutely got it right and i don't know 
yeah. what happened with um, with the record buying public. Well, that's sort of because it had good promotion, as you say. Like sort of there was a, a couple of shows, um, some of the late night shows in the, in the states, and lots sort of it had had a, had a great video as well. You know, and so, this was ninety one. So the 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 disco backlash was over by now. People didn't even remember that anymore. So it it should have been able to stand out. I don't think anybody was still holding you know disco backlash things by this point. Um, so yeah, I I'm also baffled. Uh, yeah, they were pretty much over that. Like sort of after um, they hit with one. Yeah. No, they had a top ten with one in the states, didn't they? they? Again, that one did better in the states than it did over here in the UK. Yeah. yeah. And and you win again did well in '87 overseas, not here in the states. They put mm -hmm. you win again back on. Oh well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> number four for me is you should be dancing from their 1976 album Children of the World. It was a number one here in the U.S. It was also released on the Saturday Night Fever album. Of course, this is the big disco dance number that John Travolta did in the movie, Saturday Night Fever. Um, I put this as my disco representation on my list because it was popular before Saturday Night Fever. It was a number one hit before Saturday Night Fever. It had nothing to do with staying alive. It had nothing to do with John Travolta. It was just a crazy awesome song. Jive Talking could have been here. Nights on Broadway could have been here. Fanny Be Tender With My Love could have been here. Um, but it's not, You Should Be Dancing is, and, and that's why. You should be dancing. Um, interesting era. Um, again, it's one of those, um, I'll, I'll point it out, <laughs> the album cover uh, probably didn't do him any favours. Or the name um, of the album. Well, that wasn't that wasn't too bad, um, but it was the um, it was the album cover itself, sort of in the in the Royal Flying Corps jackets. Yeah, and, Felicia, they were dressed the, up like know, airmen the, the, and hair blowing <laughs> scarves in the wind. It was a very. Um, but there was but there was a parody group over here in the UK about 1981 called uh, the Heebie Jeebies, and they put out a single called "Meaningless Songs in Very High Voices," and the B side was "Posing in the Moonlight." Um, but the the picture cover on the uh, on the single was these three guys, sort of looking very similar to Barry Robin and Morris, but they called them Gary Dobbin and Norris. Um, and lots of they had the windswept look, lots yeah. of holding hair dryers, lots of <laughs> it was as I say, ripe ripe for parody. Sure, you know? but at um, the time, at the time, maybe. <laughs> Not even at the time? No, not even at the time? Uh, okay. Hairy chests, big medallions, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the song itself, yeah, like it was a dance song, like it was heavily percussive, you know, um, recorded, I think, at, uh, at, you know, at Criteria. Um, Stephen Stills was there at the time, like sort of he, sh he shook some maracas or played a tambourine or something on it. <laughs> I think the, the, the world and his wife are credited with percussion on that song. Um, to me, it's not particularly meaningful, um, but uh, it, it, as a song in terms of uh, its power and energy in the concert setting, lots of it is absolutely second to none. And they would always time that one sort of right at the end of the show, you know, lots of yeah. it was, it, it, it was a really, really good powerful song so once you've got that crowd on their feet like you weren't going to get them sitting down again you know so yeah, yeah it's it and of course lots of it was an interesting one in terms of the transition that they were going through from 74 75 76 74 they brought arif mardin in to do the production on on mr natural that's sort of which is probably my most revisited album of underrated all. So oh tremendous. my lord and so few people know that album. dogs dogs i love that song so much okay i can't i can't let you go that's 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 my absolute favorite from the album but back back to the story what sort of arif martin brought in on that what's an absolutely amazing job they developed the sound again on uh, main course like and they hit hard like and they, they came in with with jive talking lots sort of and you're kind of thinking no way is this the Bee Gees? Yeah. Um, some fantastic stuff in there as well. Lots sort of Fanny Be Tender. Lots sort of how? Oh, lots sort of the, the key change at the end, and then another key change. Lots sort of you know it was yeah. it was amazing. Lots sort of went to change nights on Broadway. Lots sort of country lines come on over Edge of the Universe. All that lot. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Now then, Arif wasn't available for the next album. He says, "Go do it yourselves. You can do it." 
And they did. Do you think he would have reined him in? Do you think he would have reined him in for Children of the World? I don't, I've never thought about that one. That's a good one. That's another show in itself. All right, we'll save it. <laughs> save it for the next one. Let's go to uh, Felicia, your number four, or which we okay. just touched on a little bit. So my number four is Jive Talking. And this one, by the way, my four through one could all be my number one. Like these songs, I, I had re- a lot of trouble ranking. I, I love all these four songs so much. So Jive Talking is a song that I've heard before. Didn't know it was the Bee Gees. Didn't listen closely to it. And was like, oh, that's the Bee Gees. And uh, I love the melody of it a lot. I think it's completely unique uh, from any other song I've ever heard. So love that. And then when I go back and read the lyrics, I was like, oh, same as my number five, When He's Gone, did not expect these lyrics. I've never paid attention to the lyrics any other time I've heard the song. Uh, did not expect these lyrics <laughs> with this music. <laughs> um, it is just a, a really hip way to call out a liar. <laughs> you know, like just like, and the music that comes like once again, so upbeat. So it's like the music is so positive. Just like, hey, man, you're full of shit. Uh, <laughs> you're full of shit. You're an asshole. And uh, I like you, but you suffer for this. And now now me, let's go dance. Yeah. <laughs> right? To me, that is just like when he's gone. It's like, how did they, how can they have such this positive attitude about it? You know, so um and also the fact that I have heard it before and I do love the melody a lot. And yeah, all those reasons did not expect these lyrics had no clue what that song was about. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why that's my number four. Jive talking. So that is the one that really, really threw them back into the public eye, you know, and there are stories that this thing was put out there to DJs with blank labels, but, David, what sort of you know a lot of big collectors just as I do. What sort of have you ever known of one of those with a blank label? I've never seen one. No, I don't. Has, has any of the collecting fraternity ever seen one? Not, not that I've ever heard of. And yeah, you'd think one would one would surface by now. One would have surfaced by now. Yeah. I'll so that's a legend. That's 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 a that's one of the myths and legends of the Bee Gees. You think? Yeah, I, I think it possibly could be. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, back, well, back to the I mean, I, I could start ripping labels off of mine and uh, putting them out there. I think we, we might have uh, <laughs> discovered something. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> Blood eBay next week. Christmas is coming. <laughs> yeah, let me... <laughs> um, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about their change of sound. Um, they evolved from the ballads of the sixties and early seventies, the generic rock of the early seventies and kind of made a niche for themselves as, uh, an R and B group evolving into a disco group or, or anything like that. Um, they clearly made a choice to go to Florida and, and chase another sound and, and be influenced by, uh, the American, uh, music scene and the disco scene at the time, right? Well, sort of, we, we saw them move to um, LA to record um, Life in a Tin Can in 73, and that just didn't work for them, did it? So why would a move to, to Florida be any different? Yeah. I think um, Eric Clapton's influence there, um, you know, saying that he'd stayed at, at 461 Ocean Boulevard and he'd recorded at Criteria. I said if that was something that they listened to um, very, very seriously. And of course, like I said, with the new band, obviously Alan Kendall had been with them since about 1970. Dennis had joined them at 74 time. And then I said, I think the person that made the biggest change was Blue Weaver, um, because he had more um, musical sensibilities and like I said, I mean, could actually write and come up with, with melodies himself. So I, I think his influence was, was enormous there. Awesome. You know? um, well, let's, let's move to our number threes. Um, my number three on my list, uh, my post-disco selection is You Win Again. Uh, so it's off their 1987 album ESP, and then again in the US off their 1989 album One. 
Uh, it was a big comeback song in the rest of the world after they did all their 80s stuff with other artists. They reunited as the Bee Gees and um, in a lot of European countries, uh, in the UK, it was a number one hit. Uh, but here in the States, it only reached number 75. So it wasn't as big a hit as it should have been. But in terms of post-disco stuff, um, I had to recognize it as, as a really good, really good selection. Uh, give me your thoughts about You Win Again. It's one of those strange instances again, where, you know, we were talking about how can you mend a broken heart and how that was huge in the US, but did nothing over in the UK. This was a flip. They came back after, uh, like, what was it, a six-year hiatus? What's it between Living Eyes and, and ESP? I know they were working on productions and solo work and stuff like that. But, you know, for them to actually come back as the Bee Gees, like, and to hit home with uh, you win again and just straight to the top of the charts there, like, so that was just absolutely incredible. Um Yes, it was it was a, a hook laden song. As soon as you heard that drum beat, that the, they managed manufactured, yeah. you know, it was you were right in there with it, weren't you? You know, um, yeah, great song, absolutely brilliant. It was um, it was one of those things I think where sort of they were discovering like sort of all the. Uh, technical technological advancements like that that had been made mm -hmm. uh, during the eighties and translated that into the Bee Gees sound, you know, because when you were looking at stuff like uh, like like Living Eyes, like how that was much more of an acoustic kind of album. Yeah, you know, when you're looking at things like Soldiers and Wildflower and stuff like that, like sort of this was like sort of pretty full on, wasn't it? Like sort of it was all the very, very the the, the sharp kind of sounding synthesizers and stuff like that, and all the 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 um, all the drum sounds and, and, and stuff. So yeah, it was it was it was a it was a, another major kind of game changer for them. Like sort of and showed like sort of how they were able to adapt and change with the times. You know. Um, okay. okay, so uh, Felicia, go ahead with your three. So my number three is Holiday, and this song from the first couple of notes immediately grabbed my attention. It was so different from any other song I had heard on this playlist. I, I was like, is this the same band? It was completely different, and I loved it. I loved the music so much. Uh, as I told David earlier, the Bee Gees music isn't totally up my alley for what I for what I just gravitate toward when it comes to music, the sound. But this song is exactly the kind of song or music that I love. So something about this song, the music hit me in a way and I was hypnotized. I was in the car driving and I was like, what is this? <laughs> I loved it so much. Go back. I, I, I put it on my top five without even, without even looking up the lyrics. And that's how much I love the music. Go back, read the lyrics, and I'm really confused. <laughs> like, okay, what is this song about? You know, like, it, the other thing is some of their other music to me sounds overly produced. It just sounds like, I, I don't know if, I'm sure disco is like, elect, it's like electronic stuff, right? So this one it probably is, but it didn't sound that way. It sounded like, it just sounded so different. So I'm not totally sure what this song is about. I don't know if it's about a person who is being cheated on and they're, you know, and they're like, okay, well, I get a kick out of this person or I might even be in love with them and everyone else sees that they're terrible except for me. That's the closest I can come to knowing what the song is about. Uh, but I love that it's a mystery because the song sounds mysterious. And there are the music, the music sounds mysterious to me. It's kind of haunting. It's kind of sad, but it has like also a little bit of a cheery melody at the same time. So this is like actually one of my favorite songs now in general. And I will listen to this song regularly. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. Oh, I just hurt my arm patting myself on the back. <laughs> David, David for the win on this one. And I, I mean, it should, like I said, all of these, 
all of my one through four could be my number one. This one was really hard to not be my number one, but it's my number three. And yeah, so well, that's it. so, something that's interesting about what you just said was um, the, the you don't know what time frame this was from. You're co comparing it to some of their disco hits and things like this. In terms of the playlist I gave you, this song was recorded, and this was off their first big album called BG's First, 1967. So this is as far from the disco as the ones that you have listened to. So that's interesting. Um, and, and I think it adds to the timelessness of a lot of their hits. Uh, it transcends the date. It transcends the genre. It's their, their storytelling. Now, uh, Andrew, I want to ask you about uh, their lyrics because... Don't ask me about <laughs> <laughs> This has been so overanalyzed by everybody, like, and uh, we'll we'll never know the answer. We'll never know the answer. Yeah, like they, they, it's like I started a joke. It's one of those. Let's sort of just enjoy it for what it is. You know, lots of it's it's a it's a nice melody. Lots of it's simple lyrics. Lots of that you can sing along to. Lots of having heard it once or twice. Um, yeah, don't let's not analyze <laughs> it anymore. Lots of because. The, because it could it's be also, it, it's also like one of those things where you hear you hear a certain song and you're like well what's that song about you look up the lyrics you look up other people's interpretations and it's confusing this one i'm okay with being confused there's something there's something that is uh grounding about it even though you're not sure <clears throat> what it's about what people don't realize is that of course, like sort of when these songs were written, when the the first horizontal and idea albums were written, this was like sort of 1967-68. This was the summer of love. This was the peak of the psychedelic era, and they were totally in tune with what was going on there. What sort of it was psychedelia we're talking about. What sort of nobody wrote anything like sort of which was comprehensible at that point. You know, it was all nonsense lyrics. Like sort of you look at things like I am the walrus. Sort of does, and, and, and there are so many different interpretations of what that was all about. What sort of which one of them is correct? You know, right. everybody was just writing nonsense lyrics. Like sort of whether that was because of the substances that they were taking, and they were incapable of writing anything coherent. <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> I think. I've I've heard interviews with the Bee Gees, the brothers themselves, and they've said things like, you know, they sometimes songs, the music comes to them first, they'll fill in nonsense lyrics in the demos or just noises in the demos, and then go back later and fill in lyrics that fit the music as opposed to bending the music around the lyrics. So mm -hmm. I could see how something can be ambiguous because maybe they settled on something that kind of just fit. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like sort of, it was just like sort of sounds. It was words that rhymed, you know. And Robin, like sort of, was um, uh, a, a huge culprit in in that department. You know, when you listen to things like um, from Ferdinand Hudson, you know, with the with the prologue to that, like sort of, you know, this was a um, this was a tale of a storm without hail, and you go, oh, there <laughs> we go again. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, one one of the most famous examples would be Massachusetts. Um, I love the fact that they the song Massachusetts became uh, a writing challenge to them. N none of them had been to Massachusetts, even though the song is is uh, Massachusetts is one place I have been. It's like no, you specifically haven't been there. Um, but they heard of the word Massachusetts mm -hmm. and they thought to themselves, how could anybody ever write a song about Massachusetts with the word Massachusetts? And they were like, fuck it, we're gonna do it. <laughs> and, and they did, and it became one of their hugest hits. Um, so yeah. that to me was fun, that uh, lyrics, uh, is, is lyrically, songwriting ways, they challenge themselves and come up. And, and something else that adds to the holiday thing is, over in the UK, a holiday is a vacation, whereas here in the States, a holiday is like a celebration day, mm -hmm. not necessarily a, a vacation. So um, the, the different interpretations of the word holiday are different. Yeah, and, but there's too many syllables in the word vacation, you see. <laughs> it would never work. <laughs> Ooh, you're a vacation. Bum, bum, bum. Such a vacation. Hey, if they'd done that, they'd have been into disco far sooner. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'll move along to my number two. Um, tell me about How Deep Is Your Love. What do you think about that song? How Deep Is Your Love? Well, sort of, it's 
it's their classic love song, isn't it? You know, um, it was one of those things. It was the, the, the first single from, from the Fever soundtrack, wasn't it? So it was the first of the six consecutive number ones that they had in the, in the U.S. So it was very, very important for them in, 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 in terms of what happened there. And of course, it, it, everything took off so quickly. And, and it just kind of got so out of control um, in terms of what that movie and the associated soundtrack did. Yeah, it's an absolute classic. It's been covered by so many people, um, but nobody has ever come close to matching the sound and the feel that the that the Bee Gees got on that original. You know, it's very rare that, that, that there are um, cover versions which are better than the original. It is possible, but nobody will ever come close to, to, to matching that. All right, now Felicia, tell us your number two. Okay, my number two is to love somebody. And I actually told a friend of mine that I was doing this podcast and that we're doing top five BG songs. And they were like, oh, to love somebody. I love that song. I was like, okay, let me check that out. I've heard the song before. Obviously, it's a huge hit, right? Um, had no idea that it was a BG song. Immediately was like, oh, this isn't a BG song. They're covering this, right? This isn't BG's. And then, yes, it is a BG song. And oh my God, now I have so much more respect for the Bee Gees. It's the more I learn about them, the more uh, David is completely validated in being a huge mega fan. So um, my life's quest. It's my life's quest. It's a love song that doesn't make me cringe. I am not really into love songs. I, I think they're cheesy and corny, no matter, you know, who but the majority of love songs to me don't speak to me. Uh, this one is great. And I love the way he sings it. That's that's just fantastic, and uh, yeah, so th that's why it's all the way up there, number two, because the surprise of it being a BG song and uh, that it doesn't make me cringe. I've heard it before, like I've heard a lot. I've heard three of these songs before in my life, and um, never appreciated them until you go back and you you know you read the lyrics and you you really pay attention to it, and that's what happened here with to somebody or to love somebody. Uh, is I was like, this is a really great song. So, and probably another song that I will put into regular rotation in my life. Nice. Well, and, and this is Barry at his strongest. Like this is pre-disco Barry, no falsetto Barry. This is Barry soulfully singing, hitting those deep notes, kind of growling a little bit in the, some of the, some of the things. Um, Robin cutting loose at the end. Oh yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> Um, so, uh, Andrew, what do you, what do you think about Barry's voice? Um, where you mentioned something earlier about him getting breathy, um, and of course adopting a falsetto and that dominating the last 20 years of their stuff, um, compared to their sixties, uh, voices. Yeah. I, my favorite period, I think is, 67 through 74 um like sort of, that that was that was prime time like sort of and they were using like sort of the the full force vocal a lot more at that point and that's what i really really liked um to love somebody like sort of is just uh, that's always got to be in your top 10 bg songs like sort of that and um it it's just got everything, hasn't it? Lots of it. It's it, it, it's just perfect pop. And the the, the thing with BG songs is that yes, lots of anybody can do it. Lots of pick up a, an acoustic guitar and strum along, and and you know. But when you're in the supermarket, like and you're lots of going through it all in your head and stuff like that, and you know, possibly whistling the tune lots of while you're going down the aisle, don't you always stick in those little orchestral embellishments in there? You know, we 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 can't um underestimate uh bill shepherd's contributions to the bg's success and how he shaped their sound lots of in terms of the arrangements that he that he did for them you know again lots of it's with massachusetts lots of it's one of those things nah, 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 you know lots yeah. of all, all all that kind of stuff in, in between verses and stuff it's the same with um with, with to love somebody absolutely fantastic stuff um yep barry's voice lots of absolutely superb robin lots of as i say just cuts loose in the tail end of that song it's yeah 
really, really, really good choice, Felicia. <laughs> nice. Uh-oh, you might, be, you might be winning this thing, Felicia. I'm not, uh, I'm not comfortable anymore. All right. <laughs> so my number one off their 1997 album, Still Waters. It's a huge comeback song. It wasn't necessarily number one on the Billboard charts, but it was a respectable top 40 hit here in the States, peaking at number 28 alone. Um, one of my personal favorites because uh, when I discovered the Bee Gees in 1993, I learned all of them uh, and, and was part of all of that wave, but Still Waters was the first album that I experienced new and got to have the hype on and got to have and be part of the releases in the stores. I couldn't go out and download their newest song once it was out. I had to go to the store to buy it. And I'll tell you what, the first time I heard Alone was on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And I hated it. I thought it was awful. Because to that point, 1993, I was heavily into sizing and everything, which was pop music, electronic, almost like EDM type stuff with Fallen Angel and um, Paying the Price of Love, their 80s stuff like You Win Again, When He's Gone even, had that beat, that electronic, that pum, 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 pum. So I was expecting something along the lines of that, something even more electronic or disco, or not disco, but whatever the 90s version of disco was. When Still Waters happened and it was bagpipes and this relaxed, mellow, adult contemporary feel, I was like, what? What happened? They, 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 they turned old in four years, um, which they did. And it was brilliant. And it, you know, three times, I heard it three times and just kept rewinding the VHS tape. And then I was like, wait a second, let's give this a shot. Okay, yes, this is, this is an amazing song. Um, tell me what, tell me your opinion, please, Andrew, on uh, Alone. It was one of those songs that uh, one of the radio stations over here was saying, right, okay, we're going to be previewing it later on. We're going to be previewing it later on. And of course, well, this was 1997 that we're talking about now. So sort of, we were still using cassettes for, yeah. for, for stuff. And so... I was sitting there, I sort of by my my setup, I sort of just waiting for this. And when it actually came on, they didn't announce it; they just played it. But what sort of from that very very first chord, what sort of my button just pressed the button. I knew Do it. instantly <laughs> that it was them, and and sure enough, it was. What sort of but. Their sound, what sort of having never heard the thing, you, you just knew that it was going to be them, and I don't know what, what it was about it anyway. I sort of absolutely loved it from the second I heard it. The sound was just great, it was a nice, full kind of wall of sound, kind of, kind of sound. Um, the, the bagpipey kind of sound that you mentioned there, lots of the strummed acoustics, lots sort of it was just a really nice, full song, and the 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 chorus where it lifts itself, you know, lots of different Robin joins in and stuff like that. It was just great. It was a really, really good, good pop song. Um, did really well over here. Lots of the top five hit. Um, great video. Lots of with the girl floating around. Lots of like Barbarella <laughs> and stuff. All right, my number one is the hit Night Fever. It's uh, I guess you would say it's like a surface level song, but I believe that this is probably the first BG song I ever heard. And I heard it as a kid. That's why it's my number one for nostalgic reasons. Um, I love the music. You can you can you can rock out to this song uh, as well as you can their other songs. But for some reason, this one hits me. And um, it's about sex, right? If you want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else? What else could this be about? Do you guys dance? Is there a, dance? It, um, dancing? Oh, okay. Maybe. Uh, or 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 the pursuit of sex. Um, yeah. But yeah, it might be uh, the sweats, the sweats of love. Okay. <laughs> I'm not as good with the lyrics as the Gibbs. Uh, I come up with <laughs> yeah. If I wrote a PG song, it would be called Sweats of Love. That <laughs> that is horrible. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, 
that's but, just why it's my number one because it's the first. I know it's the first BG song I've ever heard. I, I mean, I, I remember this song, hearing this song as a kid and loving it. So that doesn't go away. But like I keep saying, my one through four could all be my number one. But that's why this one's my number one. And it's nice. kind of probably a surface level one, not not a deep cut. So uh, I went t- with tell, a hit. tell Andrew your story about the inversion of the uh, lyrics. I always thought it was Night Fever. Nope. Because no of the way. Oh, right. <laughs> I always thought it was Fever Night. It was the title of the song because of the way they sing it. How they're like, Fever Night, Fever Night. <laughs> I was like, oh, Fever Night. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm going to have to refile that one, aren't I? And <laughs> <laughs> where did I put it? Oh, yeah, that's it under F. Yes. <laughs> See, I, I, and 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 once you once she says that, and I think of it, I can't hear it any other way now. I'm going to listen to that song. Oh Fever I, night. I know. Fever night. Some... Fever night. <laughs> I've ruined it. Oh. This th- th- this was a life changing moment for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shit. Yes. <laughs> Andrew, any any quick thoughts about Night Fever? Night Fever. Um, it's it's one of those iconic songs, isn't it? It did better than Staying Alive in the UK, which I found strange because I, personally I thought Staying Alive was the song from Fever. I think Staying Alive is the song for the 70s, not to, do, to identify the Bee Gees. But everybody gets the dance moves for Satna for staying alive wrong. Everybody does that, the, the, the hand, not sort of, I know this is a podcast, lots of different, there's no pictures, but I think everybody's going to know what I'm doing. Um, you know, lots of the, the hand and the pointy bits and stuff like that. Everybody does that to, to, uh, to staying alive. And that's not the song that it was done to. That is night fever. And that is the iconic um, group dance routine in the movie. Um, I, I I don't want to go into the the, the, the lyrical analysis lots of it because it's um well I don't know lots of it could could get a bit rude lots of and <laughs> bearing in mind lots of that of course like it was recorded at the Chateau de Herouville in in France the Honky Chateau lots of where um, Elton John recorded um, his album um, Robin was always thrilled lots of that the staircase lots of coming down into the hallway there lots of it was used as the backdrop for several porno movies so I don't know lots of it you could be right <laughs> you could be right yeah, it could it was one of those things as well. yeah I did they, not know oh, I'm sorry go ahead uh, it was there was they wanted to call staying alive Saturday night Saturday night what's it but they were eventually what sort of they persuaded Robert Stigwood that it needed to be staying alive, and of course like sort of it, it, in its own right like sort of that that song has taken on its own you know it's its own life like sort of in in, in several different ways like sort of because of the the one twenty bpm like sort of you know they use it for for doing cpr now like sort of they're doing like sort of st- um staying inside staying inside all that kind of stuff yeah so something so, uh, something i'd like to this brought up something that i'd like to explore at a future time too is um when they wrote the songs for saturday night fever they were already writing their next album. So they were already Mm -hmm. working on these songs that would have been their next album. But at the same time, then the studio that was making the movies influenced how they wrote these songs. So I'd love to entertain the idea of what would have been had they had the creative freedom to write the music and write those songs the way they wanted to versus what they came up with for the movie itself. That that's, Mm -hmm. That's something. There, the, you, you could do a whole program on what if about yeah. the BGs. What oh, if this, we will. What if we will. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so let's um, rank all 10 of these now as uh, an ultimate top 10. And we're going to assign some points and we're going we're gonna to find out who wins. Okay. So, so Andrew, you, you take it away. You pick because um, that's why we have you on here so that I could absolve, absolve, absolve myself from any kind of uh, responsibility. Okay, let's let's see. Let's let's go through Felicia's uh, ones first. When he's gone, I sort of really, I sort of that took me totally by surprise. I'm thrilled that that was in there. Um, <sighs> drive talking, yeah, that's sort of big, big, big hit. That's sort of big change in sound for the BGS. 
holiday, lots of totally impenetrable lyrics, very, very different to everything else that she's chosen. <clears throat> to Love Somebody, an absolute standard. Night Fever, great song, a sort of an iconic um, era there. Your songs, David, How um, Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Totally um, career changing for them in the US. You should be dancing again, lots of an iconic dance song there. You win again, lots of huge, lots of in um, in Europe and uh, in the 80s, lots of huge, really important song for them in terms of um, reinventing themselves there. How Deep Is Your Love? Again, lots of that, that's an iconic love song uh, covered so many times. I'm surprised you've got Alone in there, but absolutely delighted that you have. Again, it's one of those perfect three minutes of pop. Lots of, so we've got a, you know, a difficult choice here lots of, with all of this lot. What are we going to do? We're going to do this on a, on a points basis, are we? Points basis, we're going to rank from 10 to 1, and then they're going to be valued from 1 to 10. So and I've got to go, I've got to rank these, what sort of 10, yeah, one is best, 10 is least best, but still amazingly <laughs> best. Um, and, and I'll take care of the points uh, totaling that. So you just give me the songs in order. I'm going to go, let's have a look. I'm going to put, you should be dancing at 10. Um, I'm going to put... I'll put Holiday at nine. I'll do... How can you mend a broken heart at eight? Um, you win again at seven. Drive um, talking at six. Um, night favorite five. Um, alone at four. I'll put when he's gone at three because that is just such a surprise. Like, and I'm absolutely thrilled with that one in there. And then I'm going to put how deep is your love at two and to love somebody at one. All right. One of the songs of the Bee Gees that we haven't mentioned yet is a song called Tragedy. And it's a great song, high tempo, amazing, fun song. The reason I'm bringing it up is because we experience another tragedy here today. Felicia, you have 31 points to my 24. You won this episode of Listerine. What? Bank. Yes. The biggest Good grief. Possibly the biggest tragedy ever known. You know, um, I am surprised that he put uh, You Should Be Dancing at number 10. I'm curious about that choice. And I'm also curious about uh, When He's Gone at number three, because when I heard When He's Gone, I knew it wasn't it wasn't like a hit. And it wasn't. But I'm yeah. But apparently you're, you're a big fan of that one, I guess. Okay, and the, the reasons, what sort of, you should be dancing, what sort of, it's very rhythmic, what sort of, but it's not particularly melodic, what sort of, I'm not saying it's not melodic, but it's, it, it's more of a rhythm thing rather than a tune. Um, when he's gone, what sort of, I've never, ever seen anybody pick such an, I won't say obscure, but, certain, but a, a song that you wouldn't normally see in the top 10. Um, so I was delighted to see that. I do love the song though. Um, it, it, it was just so punchy and poppy and I don't analyze the lyrics and the lyrics in the way that you do there. Lots of, but um, as you say, lots of in terms of relationships and stuff, lots of they've done, that's a common kind of theme. Oh yeah. Uh, David, thank you for introducing me to the Bee Gees like in, in, like in this way. Uh, I do have a much bigger appreciation for them now. I absolutely love the song Holiday. Uh, I'm so glad that I discovered that. And uh, Andrew, thank you for coming on. It was awesome talking to you and, and hearing My, my uh, pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. It's been good to meet you. Awesome. You too. All right. Thanks, All right, guys. Thanks. All right, listeners. Thanks for going on this journey with me. This two-part mega episode of Bee Gees and Me where we try to somehow pick a best Bee Gees song. What did you think of our lists? After everything, I stand firm with my claim that my picks five, four, and three could have gone either way. It really does change day by day. And 
secondly, and maybe even more importantly, I can't believe that I lost this episode. Felicia got more points than me. How is that possible? Maybe if I only picked different songs. Oh, well, it was fun to go through this exercise to, to get Felicia to listen to the Bee Gees and try to convert a new fan and to get a chance to talk with Andrew Morne Hughes. This episode is about an hour long and it's been edited down. He and I talked for over three hours that day. <laughs> Felicia signed off and Andrew and I just kept going, trading stories and talking about the music of the Brothers Gibb for hours. And this was all last year before this Bee Gees and Me podcast started. Uh, so it was a great experience that helped me decide to start doing this podcast and to do more stuff with my YouTube channel and then things like that. So um, if you're like me and obsessed with talking about and reading about and learning all these facts and stories about the Bee Gees, then you're going to need to get Andrew's next book. Him and a few other music historians are writing a series of books detailing the music of the Bee Gees. It's called Bee Gees Decades. So search for them on Facebook. Give them a follow at Bee Gees Decades on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm going to have them back on the show as well. Tim and two other guys, they're awesome. And maybe we could get them to share something exclusive here for our listeners. So that would be fun. Anyway, uh, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Bee Gees and Me. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for great videos. Everything and more is at BGZME.com. And please be sure to subscribe here where you listen to this podcast and rate it five stars. It helps so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. My name is David Fedor, and this has been BGZME. And me.